The Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita, with commentary by Sri Aurobindo. Essays on the Gita, our demand and need from the Gita. It may be useful in approaching an ancient scripture, such as the Veda, Upanishads, or Gita, to indicate precisely the spirit in which we approach it, and what exactly we think we may derive from it that is of value to humanity and its future. First of all, there is undoubtedly a truth, one and eternal, which we are seeking, from which all other truth derives, by the light of which all other truth finds its right place, explanation and relation to the scheme of knowledge. But precisely for that reason, it cannot be shut up in a single trenchant formula. It is not likely to be found in its entirety or in all its bearings in any single philosophy or scripture or uttered altogether and forever by any one teacher, thinker, prophet, or avatar. Nor has it been wholly found by us if our view of it necessitates the intolerant exclusion of the truth underlying other systems. For when we reject passionately we mean simply that we cannot appreciate and explain. Secondly, this truth, though it is one and eternal, expresses itself in time and through the mind of man. Therefore, every scripture must necessarily contain two elements, one temporary, perishable, belonging to the ideas of the period and country in which it was produced, the other eternal and imperishable and applicable in all ages and countries. Moreover, in the statement of the truth, the actual form given to it, the system and arrangement, the metaphysical and intellectual mold, the precise expression used must be largely subject to the mutations of time and cease to have the same force. For the human intellect modifies itself always. Continually dividing and putting together, it is obliged to shift its divisions continually and to rearrange its syntheses. It is always leaving old expression and symbol for new. Or if it uses the old, it so changes its connotation, or at least its exact content and association that we can never be quite sure of understanding an ancient book of this kind precisely in the sense and spirit it bore to its contemporaries. What is of entirely permanent value is that which besides being universal has been experienced, lived, and seen with a higher than the intellectual vision. Our object then in studying the Gita will not be a scholastic or academical scrutiny of its thought, nor to place its philosophy in the history of metaphysical speculation, nor shall we deal with it in the manner of the analytical dialectician. We approach it for help and light, and our aim must be to distinguish its essential and living message, that in it on which humanity has to seize for its perfection and its highest spiritual welfare. The Bhagavad Gita, first chapter, Krishna.
Kurukshetra. The teaching of the Gita is given as an episode in an epic history of the Indian peoples and their wars. It must therefore be regarded not merely in the light of a general spiritual philosophy or ethical doctrine, but as bearing upon a practical crisis in the application of ethics and spirituality to human life. A day must surely come when humanity will be ready spiritually, morally, socially for the reign of universal peace. Meanwhile, the aspect of battle and the nature and function of man as a fighter have to be accepted and accounted for by any practical philosophy and religion. The Gita, taking life as it is, and not only as it may be in some distant future, puts the question how this aspect and function of life, which is really an aspect and function of human activity in general, can be harmonized with the spiritual existence. Arjuna and Krishna, this human and this divine, stand together not as seers in the peaceful hermitage of meditation, but as fighter and holder of the reins in the clamorous field, in the midst of the hurtling shafts, in the chariot of battle. The teacher of the Gita is, therefore, not only the God and man who unveils himself in the word of knowledge, but the God and man who moves our whole world of action, by and for whom all our humanity exists and struggles and labors, towards whom all human life travels and progresses. He is the secret master of works and sacrifice and the friend of the human peoples. The Gita starts from action and Arjuna is the man of action and not of knowledge. It is typical of the pragmatic man that it is through his sensations that he awakens to the meaning of his action. It is as he gazes that the revelation of the meaning of a civil and domestic war comes home to him. It is not that he did not know these things before, but he has never realized it all. Obsessed by his claims and wrongs and by the duty of the Kshatriya to protect justice and the law and fight and beat down injustice and lawless violence, he has never thought out deeply nor felt it in his heart and at the core of his life. And now it is shown to his vision by the divine charioteer, placed sensationally before his eyes, and comes home to him like a blow delivered at the very center of his sensational, vital, and emotional being. The first result is a violent, sensational, and physical crisis which produces a disgust of the action and its material objects and of life itself. And then comes the cry of the emotions. The whole thing is a dreadful sin, for now the moral sense awakens to justify the revolt of the sensations and emotions. The dejection of Arjuna represents the dejection and discouragement felt by the human being when he is forced to face the spectacle of the universe as it really is with the veil of the ethical illusion, the illusion of self-righteousness torn from his eyes before a higher reconciliation with himself is effected.
we must acknowledge Kurukshetra. We must submit to the law of life by death before we can find our way to the life immortal. We must open our eyes with a less appalled gaze than Arjuna's to the vision of our Lord of time and death and cease to deny, hate, or recoil from the universal destroyer. Dhritarashtra Uvacha Dharmakshetre Kurukshetre Samaveta Yuyutsavaha Mamaka Pandavashchaiva Kimakuruvata Sanjayo Sanjayo Uvacha Drishtva to Pandavani come, Yudham Duryodhanastada Achari Mukasangam Yuraja Vachanam Abravit Pasyaitam Pandukutranam Achari Mahatin Chamum Yudham Drupada Putrena Tavashishena Dimata Atrasura Maheshwasa Bhimarjuna Samayudhi Yuyudhano Viratascha Drupadascha Maharathaha Drishtaketuschekitana Kashirajascha Viryavan Urujitkuntibhojascha Shaibyascha Narapungavaha Yudhamanyascha Vikranta Uttamaujascha Viryavan Sauvadro Draupadeyascha Sarva Eva Maharathaha Asmakantu Vishishtaye Tannibodhadvijottamo Nayaka Mamasainyasya Saugnyartham Tanbravimite Bhavanthishmascha Karanascha Kripascha Samitinjayaha Aswatthama vikaranascha saumadattistathaivacha Annecha bhavashura madarthe tektajivitaha Nanashastra praharana sarve yudhavisharadaha Apariyaptan tadasmakam balam hishma virakshitam Pariyaptan tridamete shambalam hima virakshitam Ayaneshu cha sarveshu yatha bhagam avasthitaha Bhishma meva virakshantu bhavantas sarva evahi Tasya sanjanayan harasham guru vruddha pitamaha Yuhanadam vinadyo chai shankhandadmo pratapavan Tatashankhascha bheriyascha panavanaka gomukhaha Sahasaivabhyanyanta sashabdastumulopavatya Tatashvetairhayairyukte mahatishyandane sthitau Madhavah Pandavashaiva Divya Shankho Pradadhatu Panchajanyam Hrishikesho Devadattandhananjaya Oundrandadhmau Mahashankham Bhimakaramavrikodaraha Anantavijayam Raja Kunti Putro Yudhishthiraha Nakulas Hadevascha Sukho Shamani Pushpakau 
परमेश्वास शिखंडी च महारथ्रष्टद्युम्नो विराटश्चो सत्यतिराजिता द्रुपदो द्रौपदेयाशृथिवीपते सौभद्रश्च महाबाशंखादु पृथक् पृथक् सघोषो धर्तराष्ट्राण हृदयादारयत नभश्च पृथ्वी चुमुनादय अथ व्यवस्थिता दृष्ट्वा धर्तराष्ट्रकज प्रवृत्ते शस्वसंपाते धनुद्यम्य पांडव ऋषिकेश तदावाक्यदमाहमीपते अर्जुनौवाच स्थापयमेक्युत यदेतान्दीक्षेहम योद्धुकानवस्थिता कैर्मया सह योद्धव्यमस्मुद्यमे योत्स्यमेक्षेहम येत्र धार्तराष्ट्र दुर्बुद्धेुद्धे प्रियचिकीर्षव Kurukshetra, Dhritarashtra said, On the field of Kurukshetra, the field of the working out of the Dharma, gathered together, eager for battle, what did they, O Sanjaya, my people and the Pandavas? Sanjaya said, Then the Prince Duryodhana, having seen the army of the Pandavas arrayed in battle order, approached his teacher and spoke these words. Behold this mighty host of the sons of Pandu, O Acharya, arrayed by the son of Drupada, thy intelligent disciple. Here in this mighty army are heroes and great bowmen who are equal in battle to Bhima and Arjuna, Yudhana, Virata, and Drupada of the great car, Drishtaketu, Chekitana, and the valiant prince of Kashi, Purojit and Kuntibodra, and Shaibhya, foremost among men, Yudamanyu the strong, and Utamauja the victorious, Subhadra's son, Abhimanyu, and the sons of Draupadi, all of them of great prowess. On our side also know those who are the most distinguished, O best of the twice-born, the leaders of my army. These I name to thee for thy special notice. Thyself and Bhishma and Karna and Kripa, the victorious in battle, Ashvatama, Vakarna, and Samadati also. And many other heroes have renounced their life for my sake. They are all armed with diverse weapons and missiles and all well-skilled in war. Unlimited is this army of ours, and it is marshaled by Bhishma, while the army of theirs is limited, and they depend on Bhima. Therefore, all ye standing in your respective divisions in the different fronts of the battle, guard Bhishma, cheering the heart of Duryodhana, the mighty grandsire Bhishma, the ancient of the Kurus, resounding the battlefield with a lion's roar, blew his conch, 
Then conches and kettle drums, tabors and drums and horns suddenly blared forth, and the clamor became tremendous. Then, seated in their great chariot, yoked to white horses, Madhava, Sri Krishna, and the son of Pandu, Arjuna, blew their divine conches. Trishikesha, Krishna, blew his Panchajanya, and Dhananjaya, Arjuna, his Devadatta, God-given. Drikodara of terrific deeds blew his mighty conch, Pandra. The king, Yudhishthira, the son of Kunti, blew Ananta, Vijaya, Nakula, and Sahadeva, Sugosha, and Mani Pushpaka. And Kashya of the great bow, and Shikandi of the great chariot, Drishtadyamna, and Virata and Satyaki, the unconquered, Drupada and the sons of Draupadi, O Lord of Earth, and Sobhadra, the mighty armed, on all sides their several conches blew, that tumultuous uproar resounding through earth and sky tore the hearts of the sons of Dhritarashtra. Then, beholding the sons of Dhritarashtra standing in battle order, and the flight of missiles having begun, the son of Pandu, Arjuna, whose emblem is an ape, took up his bow and spoke this word to Hrishikesha, O Lord of Earth. Arjuna said, O Achyuta, the faultless, the immovable, stay my chariot between the two armies, so that I may view these myriads standing, longing for battle, whom I have to meet in this holiday of fight, and look upon those who have come here to champion the cause of the evil-minded son of Dhritarashtra. Sanjaya uvacho eva mukto hrushi kesho guda Senayor Machis Kapitwarathotam Bhishmadrona Pramukata Sarveshanchabahikshitan Vachapart Pasyaitan Samavetan Kuruniti Patra Pasyat Shitan Partho Drunathapita Mahan Acharyan Matulan Patrun Putran Pautran Satinstata Swasuran Surudaschaiva Senayor Hayorapi Tan Samikshasakonte Yasaravan Bandhu Navastitan Krupaya Paraya Vishto Vishidan Nidabhavi Arjunovacha Drishtvemam Svajanam Krishna Yudhsum Samupasthitam Sidanti Mamagatrani Mukhancha Parishushyati Vepathischa Sharire Meroharshascha Jayate Gandivam Sronsate Hastat Vakchaiva Paridahyate Nachashatmam Yavasthatum Dhamati Vajame Manaha Nimittani Chapasyami Viparitani Keshava Machashreyo Nupasyami Hatvasva Janamahave Nakangshe Vijayam Krishna Nacharajyam Sukhani Chau 
then Saparta standing upon opposite sides, uncles and grandsires, teachers, mothers, brothers, cousins, sons and grandsons, comrades, fathers-in-law, benefactors. Seeing all these kinsmen thus standing arrayed, Pantea, invaded by great pity, uttered this in sadness and dejection. Arjuna said, Seeing these my own people, O Krishna, arrayed for battle, my limbs collapse and my mouth is parched. My body shakes and my hair stands on end. Gandiva, my bow, slips from my hand and all my skin seems to be burning. I am not able to stand and my mind seems to be whirling. Also I see evil omens, O Keshava. Nor do I see any good in slaying my own people in battle. O Krishna, I desire not victory, nor kingdom, nor pleasures. What is kingdom to us, O Govinda? What enjoyment? What even life? Those for whose sake we desire kingdom, enjoyments, and pleasures, they stand here in battle, abandoning life and riches, teachers, fathers, sons, as well as grandsires, mothers, brothers, fathers-in-law, grandsons, brothers-in-law, and other kith and kin. These I would not consent to slay, though myself slain, O Madhusudana, even for the kingdom of the three worlds. How then for earth? What pleasures can be ours after killing the sons of Dhritarashtra, O Janardana? Sin will take hold of us in slaying them, though they are the aggressors. So it is not fit that we kill the sons of Dhritarashtra, our kinsmen. Indeed, how may we be happy, O Madhava, killing our own people? Although these, with a consciousness clouded with greed, see no guilt in the destruction of the family, no crime and hostility to friends, why should not we have the wisdom to draw back from such a sin, O Janardana, who see the evil in the destruction of the family? In the annihilation of the family, the eternal traditions of the family are destroyed. In the collapse of tradition, Lawlessness overcomes the whole family. Owing to predominance of lawlessness, O Krishna, the women of the family become corrupt. Women corrupted, O Varshneya, the confusion of the Varnas arises. This confusion leads to hell, the ruiners of the family and the family, for their ancestors fall, deprived of Pinda, the rice offering, and libations. By these misdeeds of the ruiners of the family, leading to the confusion of the orders, the eternal laws of the race and moral law of the family are destroyed. And men whose family morals are corrupted, O Janardana, live forever in hell. Thus have we heard. Alas, we were engaged in committing a great sin, we who were endeavoring to kill our own people through greed of the pleasures of kingship. It is more for my welfare that the sons of Dhritarashtra armed should slay me unarmed and unresisting. I will not fight. Sanjaya said, 
Having thus spoken on the battlefield, Arjuna sank down on the seat of the chariot, casting down the divine bow and the inexhaustible quiver given to him by the gods for that tremendous hour, his spirit overwhelmed with sorrow. Thus ends the first chapter of the yoga concerning the dejection of Arjuna from the Bhagavad Gita Upanishad, stating the knowledge of Brahman and the science of yoga through the conversation of Sri Krishna and Arjuna. Oh, peace, peace.